No. Is it supposed to be in the green? Yeah, but I turned it down because it kept uh, kept clipping. But I had it up, so I turned it to 19. How about now? Yeah, How you're good about now. now. Say it slowly. Ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a movie called The Music Man. It's a, it's a play. It's uh-huh. a musical. Yeah. And uh, he gets these four guys, and their actual actors are part of a barbershop quartet called the Buffalo Bills, who I assume were big deal in the 40s and 50s. Is that when the musical came out? The uh, music came out in uh, 61, I think, or 62. <laughs> so they had to already be established or something. But there's a part where he's just talking to these four dudes, and you don't know they sing, but they do, you know. You know, all musicals are or something. So yeah. he's teaching him to do it. And he's like, you know, he said like, oh, you know, say say ice cream. Or, and he's singing it. And he's like, oh, I never sang it. I never sang ice cream. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and then he's like, ice cream. He's like, say it slower. Ice cream. Now you, ice cream. Now you, ice cream. And you, I scream. All right. <laughs> now we have a quartet. And then boom. I scream. I scream. I scream. Then they start getting right into of a course. song. And they're perfect. And yeah. Because musicals. Because musicals, yes. I had a conversation with a teen the other day. She said that she got a part in her musical at high school. I said, oh, yeah, what was it? She said it was high school musical. I'm like, well, yeah, aren't all musicals at a high school? High, high school, school musical. But it's a musical. <laughs> called High School, high school musical. musical. Based on the movie. <laughs> yeah. We have a series on Disney Plus, like, playing in high school musical, showing different high schools or something, or a high school doing a musical. So it's a documentary? Music, or, like, a reality. Yeah, kind of. I think so. I yeah. think that's the point is it's. That's funny. Doing a show about doing a show, or it's just the show itself. I don't remember now. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Joel's really into him right now because we took him to uh, um, James and the Giant. James Peach. and the Giant Peach. That was at church. That was at and church. You it. Did you guys miss it? I don't. We didn't go. You didn't go. I thought didn't. you guys were going. No, we didn't go. It's late. We went. You would have saw us. Yeah, but I was. I thought you guys just went on a different night or something. <coughs> no. Yeah. It was good. James and the Giant Peach, I never really saw, so I didn't. Ah. So it's not something driving me there. And oh, you need, to watch, how you need I, to watch the James and the Giant Peach. I know. It's one that just passed me by. I don't know if that's it's because it's one of those ones that's like. It's melancholy. Yeah, but yeah. I never read the book. I was okay. supposed to read the book, but I never read the book. Yeah. Like I was supposed to read Wrinkle in Time, didn't read the Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. And, uh, but then when the movie came out, I was like in high school. And it wasn't something that it's like, oh, I want to see this. And it wasn't like already a Disney movie where it's like, you know, there's all those people who are like, oh, well, that came out when I was in high school. So, you know, I wasn't watching no Disney movies. And I was like, and then like me and my sister are like, yeah, yeah, that's lame doing that. (laughs) I was all about it whenever it came out because it's stop motion animation. And I always thought that that was cool. Yes, I also do like stop motion. And it was supposed to be kind of like, hey, remember Nightmare Before Christmas? How about this? Did it come out after Nightmare Before Christmas? Pretty sure. This is why we need to. I'm going to take a guess before I look this up because Nightmare Before Christmas, I think, is 1993. So I'm going to guess James and the Giant Peach was like 95 or six. Let's see. Now watch this 92. No. And then now Manny's like, I know. I 96, baby. 96. James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, I'm so damn no! good at this. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know how you're gonna get those years. Like the '90s just blur together. It was all just one year. Ninety. No, N- Nightmare is also '93, so I was right there. '93. No, '90s are totally like I could tell you the difference between '94 and '95. I can't tell the difference between I 2002 and 2020. <laughs> That's <laughs> other where than I COVID. Start, <laughs> I start getting a little messed up there too yeah. because there's certain years like. <clears throat> So, oh, the early 2000s are easier for me to remember stuff, but like, oh, four and five are easy because I'll remember what happened because I was living in California and three and six are also easier because I remember, you know, what it was like when I got back or was about to leave to go to California. And then like, then it kind of gets a little wishy-washy and then like, oh, eight or nine around there is when I started working at St. Peter's. So I might remember that stuff and then, you know, started doing church stuff again and then lisa and i got married in 14 and then it starts getting faster and faster right and then 17 is when robert's born so nothing happened after that because i have <laughs> kids yeah yeah they and do then that. all the 20 to 22 stuff was all messed up because it's like even when you're talking about don't you remember we did that at christmas that was a christmas before what oh yeah i don't know we didn't go anywhere because we weren't allowed to leave the house <laughs> yeah because yeah. of fascism yeah, people are talking about like the 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 really interesting scenarios with with preschoolers and kindergartners right now. That uh, kids are coming into. Yeah, I told it's it's legit, right? Yeah. <laughs> talking about he just took a sip of the whiskey that is uh, sixty point seven proof. This whiskey was a was a gift from uh, a couple of volunteers. I'm not sure that I'm. I, I probably could give them a shout on on the on the show. Probably sure. the Eichelbergers. They came out on a retreat with us and. Um, uh, well, with me, you missed the Steubenville. It was in Steubenville, Arizona. Yeah, I don't do many Steubenvilles. No, no, not anymore. Yeah, and so uh, we were out, we went out there, and and when we got back, they they gifted me the Scotch. It is the um, uh, Aber Lauer uh, Highland Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, and it is very very good. Um, but it is cast strength, and I'm not exactly sure how that how that works. I've never seen. Um, Cast strength. I don't know if that means it's just. Is there another dilution process that happens? But I have to have this one on ice. Like I get a big block of ice and uh, let it sit there for a minute. But it's very, very good. I also just for funsies because I wanted to play. Um, I, I turned it into an old fashioned, which I probably shouldn't have done with such a fancy whiskey. Sorry, everyone. Um, because it's kind of sweet, and I thought, well, well, this might actually be good in an old fashioned, and and it was. Cast strength, also known as barrel proof slash barrel strength. Is a term used by whiskey, often spelled whiskey with no e. The level of alcohol by volume strength for a cast strength whiskey or rum is typically the range of fifty-two to sixty-six percent. Yeah. Oh, most whiskeys and rums are diluted with water to reduce its strength to a level that That's makes it less expensive to produce and more palpable palpable yeah to most consumers usually about 40 percent, which is standard yeah and this one being at 60.7 i was like i had this straight the first time and i was like wow that's that's some uh that's some scotch so, so i guess that's what it is it's right it's this more is right out of the cast that makes sense and it's gonna be i wondered if there was a dilution process i don't actually know how that a whole lot about uh, um apparently whiskey there's just a general dilution process for whiskeys and or rums yeah liqueur, liqueurs. yeah cool well there you go all right. Uh, so that's what we're drinking. We're also drinking this um, Hofbrauhaus House Oktoberfest beer, uh, which I'm actually kind of disappointed in because it's not the best. You know, it's not. It's not that that great of a uh, Oktoberfest, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of early for an Oktoberfest. But right, it's, it's not, okay. Yeah, You're right. It's, it's kind of be better. 
That's that's and what you know I said. What? Look at this. this is it's bottled in Germany. Yeah, look how you're cheaping me out on your free beer that you're giving me. What is that? What well, you on? paid for it. Yeah, eleven point two ounces. Oh yeah, well yeah, it is. Is uh, we got this one at maybe this was the problem. We got it at uh, World Market. Have you ever been to World Market? By yeah, Tart? but that's not the problem. They, the problem. they make it this big everywhere. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is how Hofbrau makes of them. They make them smaller, I guess. Three hundred and thirty milliliters. Yeah, I wasn't sure because this Hofbrau House has a um, stateside brewery, don't they? I don't know. I thought they did. Imported because this is definitely Hofbrau. the imported one. Yeah, this is imported by Hofbrau House right. America. I love this. Anthem Village Drive, Sweets, Henderson, Nevada. Oh, that's interesting. Well, hello. Just we're going over there. Of course, it's just a warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess they we're imported here, for the here beer. in America. I mean, here in Vegas. That's awesome. Brewed and bottled in Munich. There you go. So these are from Munich, but they bring it into Henderson. That's funny. Mm-hmm. It has a it has a, a tartness that I don't expect with a, a, a Oktoberfest, and that's what I think's throwing me off. All right, so what are we talking about? Oh, Oh, yes. Welcome to the 50th real episode. (laughs) 50th real episode. We're not counting the last one. Or do you want to call it 51 because Vegas is still 51? We're not. Area 51. It's not. That's what Jimmy said. Oh, yeah. If you wanted to, yeah. It's not like, what's it called? I'm going to be like, yeah, that 50 doesn't count. Or you write L again. L again. Episode L twice. Or I could put L again. Part two. Mm. Yeah. We'll the real 50th, 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 51st episode. Ah, 51st episode. Oh, oh, I love that movie. We've grown. You know what I think's funny? Mm. Is you put, what's it called, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore together, and I'm like, I'll watch it. Oh, yeah. That's a, great, that's a great combination all the time. I mean, I'm not saying it's like Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, but, or but like still. Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, but. but. But still, it's good. It's a good mix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 50 First Dates, and then um, The Wedding Singer, wedding that, singer was, that yeah. was fantastic. That was the first one. Yeah, and then even really Blended good. wasn't that bad. Blended was good, actually. Yeah. It yeah. was, was like the kind of a Cheaper by the Dozen kind of remake, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Which Cheaper by the Dozen is, no, not Cheaper by the Dozen. Not Cheaper by, cheaper yours, by mine, the, and ours. That's it. There it is. Which is also a remake. Of yours, mine, and ours? Yours, mine, and ours, the one that came out with Rene Russo in it or something? That sounds plausible. Okay. Well, yours, mine, and ours, are you thinking of is in black and white or in color? No, but I knew it was in color and newer, but I yeah. knew it was a remake of okay. of just the original yours, mine, and ours. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Which is probably like what the Brady Bunch would be. And now we're talking about all these things that our younger viewers or listeners will not know. What younger viewers? Yeah, there's nobody that young listening to us. <laughs> Because yeah. we are not cool. Yeah, no, I don't. We don't try to be. And here's the thing: I had a theory, and I don't know if I said this on the pod before, but I feel like kids, kids today, kids. <laughs> but I feel like in these more recent generations, with the more on-demand stuff, yeah, they're not going to be as well-rounded with pop culture stuff because of the fact that they can watch what they want to, like Robert, and also the way it's set up, like. Nickelodeon, if you like their shows, that's good because they have five shows and they run it all day. Right. And Cartoon Network kind of does that now too, where Cartoon Network used to have like a bunch of different cartoons. And if you wanted to watch their shows like Johnny Bravo and Powerpuff Girls and Dexter and stuff like that, they'd be on Friday nights or something and that's it. Right. You watch it. Nowadays, you sit there and turn it on on a Saturday and Teen Titans Go is on for five hours straight. Oh, wow. Some, I yeah, that. I think a lot of show channels are kind of doing that now. That's interesting. We don't have we don't have cable cable. It's all of us are streaming services. That's all yeah, we're doing. But that's also the same thing. Exactly. So yeah. If I want, if Robert wants to watch Paw Patrol and it's on, it might be on for 
two, three hours straight on Nickelodeon or Kid or Nick Jr. or something. But also we can use the on-demand mm-hmm. episodes that are available through the cable box. Or if we wanted to go to, you know, streaming on Paramount Plus and get a bunch of them so he could watch Paw Patrol to his eyes bleed. <laughs> but the fact is, yeah. I liked watching Transformers, but guess what? It was on once a day. Right. And when I was real little, when I was younger, it was on once a week. Because mm-hmm. the first season... I think it's only 13 episodes or something, and that was on every Saturday. And then when they went to season two, they filled up the whole uh, every day, so for like 64 episodes or whatever it was. Yeah. 54, 64, something like that, whatever um, um, syndicated television is. That is the interesting uh, That is the interesting thing about like our culture because the, what we have created is something very unique. Every, the entertainment is oversaturated. There's more to watch than there's ever been. And which is good and bad, right? Exactly. It's good because the creativity, the creatives out there who would say this is a good show, and where network television would have said, "No, it sucks. Screw you." Right. So back in the day, there was only three channels, and mm-hmm. if you didn't fit the mold, you were out. And exactly. then it was like, "Oh, maybe we could put it on cable," because like other channels, like cable channels, used to have their own original shows, or like Showtime and HBO used to have its own original shows back mm-hmm. even in the eighties. Right. But and then now it's like, hey, this is a good show, and we put it on Amazon, and guess what? It that's the one that wins the Emmys, right? Exactly. That's that's the the unique thing is this this oversaturation. But then you're you're right that it's a it is a we've created an on demand culture. Like my kids don't really know what commercials are, which I'm not complaining about that. I mean, some of the commercials are terrible. Yeah, but, that, yeah, but if you watch commercial, if you watch TV, well, I know. Well, I guess you can't because you don't have TV. Yeah, we don't have TV. But like Robert will do that thing where he's like, "Can you pass forward to these commercials?" I'm like, "It's <laughs> no. live TV," and he's like, "Oh, why do we have to watch live TV?" I'm like, "Well, <laughs> sometimes your father and mother are old people who just don't watch yeah. everything." Yeah. Yeah, because my kids can watch Bluey anytime that they want to, and that's that's the thing. It's like I, they're they're not tied. And I think this is um, I think this is going to end up being a problem. It's it's probably a symptom of, of of a problem that already exists because like if you can get if if we are essentially training our kids to be like you can have anything you want at whatever time that you want it. Everything revolves around you and your time, right? You don't have to get up at 7 a.m. in order to watch a Bluey episode on a Saturday morning, right? Right. You can get up whatever time you want, and Bluey comes on and starts whenever you want it to start. And, and pauses. you can watch more. Mm-hmm. You can, you can binge it. Yeah, that's what everybody did with the Stranger Things. That was, whenever that first season came out, everybody yeah. just all binged that thing straight through. Well, not everybody. Oh, most people. I know. <laughs> not us. Like, I used to binge the old-fashioned binging when you popped in the DVDs. Yes. So yeah, Sarah I and I too. would do that. We'd get the seasons of uh, NCIS. <coughs> I bought would buy them, and then we'd watch them, and then we'd do that thing where it's like, oh, do you want to watch another episode? Okay. And then when it was like, okay, we got to put a new disc. Okay, this is a good time to stop. Yeah. Because we'd done it for five hours straight. But, like, Lisa, no, she's not a binger. It's like, oh, we've watched two episodes. That's enough. <laughs> you know, this is even pre-kids with, That's like, funny. on a Saturday afternoon. That's funny. So, like, it took us a while. Like, even this last season, Mrs. Maisel, we've only watched two episodes. I have not watched any of the new Maisel episodes. I heard it wasn't as good, and then the first two episodes were still pretty good. <laughs> so, maybe it's the fact that I heard it wasn't good, and I was like, ah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. She, that was a great show. It's a very smart show. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. That's the ice. There's the ice. There's the ice in the in the drink. But yeah, what type of like um, I was talking about this because I, I did a I did a workshop on Sunday about liturgy, 
and I was talking about liturgy is the place for uh, us to become living sacrifices, right? That's where we... Did you just put whiskey in your nose? No, I put I, uh, water in my nose. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. No problem. <laughs> All right. So we just... Uh, uh, we were talking about mass as the place for sacrifice, Um but in our com- in our current culture, we do not have a category for sacrifice. No, because everything has to feel good. Right, right. We have gone. It's very much. Whatever I feel makes like. You happy. Yeah, I feel like we're in. Do you ever read Brave New World? The we Huxley, talked about this. We have talked about this, right? We're about this. But 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 you know that that Huxley uh, dystopian future where we're like everybody's just drugged to be happy all the time, and that's that's the ultimate end goal is, and it's not even happiness. It's just so much. It's just not boredom. You know, or or not having to to uh, having your needs met at every moment. Here's something I heard too, not too long ago on one of Corolla's podcasts. He was Adam Corolla does the podcast, and he did um something where he said some of the things we have to realize is that we don't always want to feel happy, like we think we want to always feel happy, but sometimes we want to feel satisfied. Mm. You know, like I dug that ditch. I'm not happy. I dug that ditch. Right. But boy, when I finished it, I felt accomplished. Yeah, and I felt satisfied, and that's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, like I did. I played football in high school. I wasn't a football player per se. <laughs> I was on the team, but you know, it sucked because I, you know, for like Hell Week or whatever, you had to wake up in the middle of the night because you had to be dressed in full pads on the field at six a.m. and right. it's still dark out. And I didn't have a car, so I had to ride my bike from my house to school, which wasn't too far, but but still I had to do that. And I, you know, locked my bike in. It was the first bike there. <laughs> and then after band practice that night, I'd have to unlock it because it was the last bike there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, you do that, and then you get your butt crap, uh, smashed all day because I'm not – well, I was a much smaller guy then. And, you know, but I felt like it built character. And it wasn't fun. Right. But, you know – and. I guess it brought me some form of happiness, but I felt accomplished after I did it. Right. Like, look, I could get through this. And I feel like that's the problem is we're too busy looking for happiness, but we're not looking for satisfi- satisf- satisf- satisfaction. Satisfaction. I was like, satisfaction. That's because you can't get no satisfaction. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Um, yeah. That's what I say. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. That, that's that's a good point because like I even think about sports for little kids right now because Joel Joel's in karate right and yeah and he loves karate Sorry. but his karate is too easy it's very much just memorize the forms uh, and I feel like that, yeah that's that's easy but it's not there's they're, they're not held to a standard of like that form's not quite right they're just basically getting I don't know if it's because they're kids or whatever but. Um, it's not one of those scenarios where, like, if he tests for a belt, I don't really think he can fail. You know what I'm saying? Um, How many belts is he on? What belts is he on? He's in purple right now. That after, that's before green is? It's before green in his. White, in yellow, his, orange, purple? Well, in his, uh, uh, I can't remember how they all go in his. Uh, it was white, yellow, orange, purple. Yeah, that was how, for his. But that's that's uh, Kempo Karate for his. Never took, never took a lesson. <laughs> well, I know the belts order different things as, as well, but... Um, but I just found it really interesting that that even that particular thing, I, I feel like at some point, whether it was this particular karate or some other kid's sport, and then everybody's kind of followed suit. Some parent was like, "Hey, I'm paying for my kid to advance." You know, like they would say, "Like you, you're, I'm paying so my kid can play this game, right?" 
And so you have like, and you know me, I'm not big on sports or competition to begin with. (laughs) But at the same time, I feel like there is value in those things whenever they're not taken to the extremes that become things of worship, right? Because in that, like, we should teach our kids to struggle. It should be hard. Things should, shouldn't always be easy. There should be a possibility of losing. Because mm-hmm. um, my kids suck at losing. And I'm not, like, I'm not super competitive, so I'll lose. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but my kids cannot handle it whenever they lose. We play Mario Kart, and, and if Joel loses, he loses his mind. And it's, uh, um, I think. And that's standard for children. Right, right. But in a culture that teaches you that you can't fail, that you can do whatever you want, be whatever you want. But you don't have to try hard. Right. How does virtue at all seem appealing? It doesn't. Uh, no, because no, we right. have... we've te- Hedonism sounds appealing. Right, right. Because techne has, has completely taken over in that like we have the science and the, and the technique and technology to be able to make everything literally easy for you. And then, like, we talk about the, the workforce. The, um, we have <laughs> Shannon struggling right now because, like, people keep walking out of, of her job scenario. Like, she gets an assistant, and then they'll just walk out within, like, a day or a week or whatever saying that, oh, this, this work environment is just not good for my too mental hard. health. It's too hard, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not good for my mental health. You actually expect to be there more than one day in a row. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Or, or that, that things. <clears throat> I don't know where those people go. Because here's the thing, too. if you look at the numbers, and this is some of the things that like the the administration of our country is touting is on how great the unemployment numbers are, but as we, the well-educated of us know, that unemployment numbers are based on who is receiving unemployment. So if the numbers are low, that doesn't mean how many people are working or exactly. not. It's how many people we are paying. Supporting, supporting yes. So what I'm trying to figure out is if our numbers are so low, how are they how are they surviving? Well, I know a lot because of Because nobody's working cuz exactly. everywhere I know yeah. is getting needs workers. Right. Like Lori at work, she's talking about the the dry cleaners can't they they close at 5 instead of like 8 or something. So like if you need your clothes dry cleaned, you have to take go get it at lunch because if you work like 9 to 5 because they only got one guy working there. Like if you need a second guy, whoops, sorry, we don't have a second guy, so we can't stay. Right. <clears throat> so places like that have limited hours. Like if you know it, well, I know you probably haven't noticed, but like, you know, you grew up in this town like I did yeah. where every the like, grocery stores and even the gas stations, all those things were 24. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of stuff closes at yep. night because they can't afford to keep a guy there the whole time. Right. And it's like, when did this happen? You know, and you can't, and the thing I hated was, you know, once the pandemic was like coming back and it's like, oh, nobody knows to work. And then there's a lot of like those, those memes or something on the internet going like, well, nobody wants to work for your job. Oh, you got to cut that. Uh, (laughs) You know, nobody wants to work for $7 an hour, blah, 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 blah. Look how terrible it is that minimum wage is $7. I want to know who's paying $7 now. Right. No, there's a lot of people. For the last two years, it's like, you want to work at Del Taco? We're hiring you at $14 an hour. Right. That is ridiculous. Yeah. That and now fourteen dollars an hour is nothing because inflation's so darn high. I know. <clears throat> so everybody bad. who got bumps in pay last year or something, you know. But the whole idea was there was the thing they were touting as an awesome thing was the great um, great reset. Yeah, but the resignation. Re- great re- resignation. Mm-hmm. 
which I say is awesome. Get out of that job and go find a better one. But no, they just got out got of the job. job. Yeah. And then what are they doing? <laughs> I don't because know. I understand when you were getting like $600 a week or whatever, they were giving you away for free. Right. It was like, here's unemployment. Just take it. it this is more than I've ever gotten ever. Ah, who cares? Just take it. Well, if I got a job, I'd get paid less because this is way too much money. Right. I understand why people didn't get jobs. Right. But that's all done. Yeah. It's been done. Yeah. But now we're living with uh, the the consequences of, uh, and I think that was just kind of like, uh, I would say maybe the straw that broke the camel's back because we have been moving in that direction for such a long time of just like um, making everything revolve around the. I mean, like we're we're a vastly uh, individualized culture. Like that's 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 what we're all about. We're about the I. We're not so much about the we. You know, which in on on the one hand, there's there's some benefit to that because there's there's freedom, there's choice, and there's. Uh, um, you know, like human dignity and in individual, uh, and then and, and you don't want to have like a, a shame and honor culture or something like that. That would, that would be awful. But at the same time, we're so far that direction that the eyes needs have to be met by the we, and every individual eyes needs have to be met by the we, and the we ends up getting smaller and smaller to meet those needs. We've had this discussion before too, but um, it there we've made it. So that way you don't have to and you're not praised for building virtue. There's no there's nothing that's, that says, oh, man, that guy, we, this guy, you want this guy working for you because he's super prudent, you know? Like, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody cares how prudent you are. You know, nobody cares. And nobody tries to be prudent. Like, because if, if they do screw up, the system will well, the system's in their favor and everything is just going to kind of work out in in some kind of way and that's or that's at least what that what most people believe that everything's just going to work out and everything's going to be green and rosy for them but uh i don't know how cuz that's what confirmation 2 particularly is is primarily about like we talk about virtue and we talk about living the virtuous life mm. i don't know how to like I don't know how to encourage people to want to do that in in a in a in a culture where techne says you don't have to be virtuous. We'll take care of it for you. Explain techne. Techne is um, just uh, technology or uh, science in a in a way that or technique. There, think about it as technique, right? We found the simplest, most easiest, uh, and efficient way for um, you to just be happy all the time. No child left behind. You can never fail a class, right? Therefore, and and we can still. Pre- we can still function as a society by doing this. We, you can get a, a minimum wage job or contribute because you can live off your parents' money or whatever it happens to be, right? You're still going to be a, a cog in the machine in some kind of way. Uh, and we've made it so that you can just do that so easily, right? That's that's the technique we've developed. Now, you have no, uh, I guess, motivation then to want to go to the other side of that. Like, I know that this is easy, and I could just, you know, get Ds and Fs and and uh, not care. Uh, so why ought I care and actually try to build a virtue to where, like, I got to stay up and study, or I got to, I got to try and get the forms of karate just right, even if they, if even if they're going to pass me, even if they're wrong, you know? Right. See, that's the thing. Like, is Joel going to be held to a higher level as the belts go? I don't know. It doesn't just doesn't really seem like. Belts. Well, I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know if there's a different, a whole different belt system whenever he gets to a certain age and it changes. Um, but uh, it, it right now it very much just seems like if if he's if he's testing, I'm essentially I'm just buying a new belt. Right, <laughs> that's what's happening. 
you know, it's not, it doesn't seem as if like there is a, a possibility and he doesn't sense a possibility of him being able to fail. Uh, and, and this is Joel who can't stand losing. So he would be neurotic about the chance that, Oh, I could not pass this. And that was more like just another longer practice, but, um, where he learned stuff. Cause I mean, I understand there's the differences. Like I was talking about this a while ago with uh softball. Like I play softball on Mondays and, uh, and we're playing e-league. So we're the bottom of the barrel and we're all paying money out of our pockets. So like in our team, we're mostly guys wanting to hang out. Like that's the other thing too is, right. you know, it all started as a bunch of church guys. It was in a sense, it was the failed men's men's uh, answer to Biss. Right. And said, you know, screw it. Let's just get a softball team. You know, so my thing too with it is, is like, I'd rather make sure we get a guy that works well with our group in the, you know, a locker room guy, as they would say in right. sports, you know, somebody who jives with us rather than somebody who's good. Right. You know, but we also do a thing where as we play two games a night. They're like hour long games, so you play two in a row, and sorry, and um, usually in a game you have your lineup one through nine or whatever, you know, twelve or how many for softball, and um, and usually when you start the second game, you start back out your your number one hitter because you have it set up that way that your better hitters are in the beginning, right? Or your fast guys and then your power guys or whatever, but your better guys are usually beginning. But we don't do that. We just who was the last guy out in the last game? Put the next guy up. Because that way everybody kind of gets, you won't, everybody's not going to get the exact amount of bats, but they're going to get more. Because if we started there, your first four guys are going to have like six at-bats or six to seven at-bats over a night. And the other guys might have three to four. Right. And it's like, well, this sucks because I paid two. But we're E-League. Right. Now, if we were like C-League or something, you know, two steps higher or something, it's like real competitive. It's like, no, no, that's the way it goes. Yeah. You know, I understand it. And like in, if I played high school baseball, I understand that not everybody gets to play. Right. But since we're low league, you know, screw it. It's for fun, kind of. Right. You know, half the guys are drinking in the other dugout. That's what I would be doing. Only I'm drinking in our dugout. <laughs> now there's some other guys. But, but um, <clears throat> you know, because like I played little league. And in minor league, you, what's it called? You had all the guys, everybody on your team got to bat. Right. You know, you had nine in the field, and let's say you have 12, 13 dudes on your team. I don't know. Well, everybody gets the bat. So, And that was about and, learning the sports, too. Yeah, right? kind because, of. Yeah, but it, it's also like, hey, you know, you're out there. you got to learn or whatever. And, you know, hey, this guy goes in a right field. Let's switch the guy out and this and this and this. But then if you moved up to what was considered major leagues, that's when you're getting 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, the only guys who can bat are the nine the guys that are playing. Yeah. And then if you pull the guy out, then you're done for the game, and then you put another guy in because that's how baseball is. Right. You have nine starters. They're the only ones that bat, and they're the only ones that field. And once you're out, you're out. So they sit there and say, oh, you know, and maybe they switch some of those guys out. I don't, can't remember exactly how Little League does it as much, but, you know, it's it's harsher rules. But at the lower level, usually when you're younger, like you said, you're kind of learning. Right. Because even in the younger league, before the minors, they had farm league and stuff. And there they you got like six balls or something instead of four to walk because the pitchers didn't know how to throw as well. So it's like they gave him two more chances before the guy could walk because the fact is these little kids are trying to throw the ball, <laughs> you know. And the year and the grow lower boot than that is t ball. And there you had like a, a guy your your coach kind of throw a few pitches, and if you can't hit it, put, put that thing on the tee, on the tee yeah. and then crank it as much as you can yeah. and. Nobody knows how to field, so you kind of just run around. I right. feel like weirdos. 
So, you know, like you're saying, so it's developmental. So I don't know if Joel's in that point where they're just like, yeah, just move him up. It's quite possible. And like, it's, but so later, that's why I don't know. Right, right. Later, they might they might care. But at the same time, like. That's when they call it karate. Karate. But at the, at the same time, <clears throat> there should be a correction. Uh, uh, a uh, At that level, like even at the. Accountability. Team, right. Well, is it, I'm not, is it accountability or is it just like. Oh, like it, at that t-ball level, the coach will still come up and say, "No, you need to stand like this. Yeah, and you need to hold the bat like this. Yes. And if you're not doing it like that, he's going to make you do it like that every single time that you come back up to bat and you're you're in front of that tee I again, right? Right. So that's that's the thing. There's this like, okay, you you need to be able to get this because if you want to play the game, you got to be able to enter into the game, right? The game is not going to revolve around your style of play, right? And that's that was is what I think is is kind of missing in not just sports, but everything like the the phone, you know, the, the smartphones, television, everything is built to revolve around your kind of play, not the other way around. There's nothing we have to conform to. Um, it conforms to you. It conforms to you, and then that's uh, that's like maybe in the, maybe in the upper levels of some of this sports stuff. Um, like what you're talking about with the baseball thing. And whenever you get to uh, higher levels, you do have to be able to conform to the sport. There's some value in that as long as a kid is getting some practice time, some act, like somebody's actually trying to work with the kid right. and, and, and improve, improve in those kinds of ways. And, that be, and if the kid loves the sport and if the coach is not just being a jerk about like, oh, I really want to win, I really want to win, I really want to win. Right. Because there, there's, there's a uh, – what's his name? Um, philosopher guy. He teaches. He teaches ethics out of Notre Dame. His name, Alistair McIntyre. Alistair McIntyre. Ah, oh, oh, yes, Alistair of course. <laughs> Good old. Uh, he wrote Good a book. Old Mac. Ali Mac. <laughs> I like to call him. Ali Mac, as we like to call him. Uh, he wrote a book called After Virtue, and in this book, uh, he talks about um, activities as um, basically any any kind of thing that you're doing that you're putting effort into right and he makes a distinction between external goods and internal goods technically a win in a baseball game would be considered an external good because it is not part of the play of the game right it's uh something that if you uh if you do if you play a certain way it's an effect of the game right or like the 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 honor that you get as a coach for having so many win that's an external good or the money that might come in because of how many people are that's an external good the internal goods are literally how you play the game uh, and the the example i like to use to kind of explain the difference between like advancing internal goods and only caring about external goods is in boxing um, what's the name of that guy who has the the money team hats what's his name Floyd Merriweather. That's the guy, right? So that guy, he makes a ton of money in boxing. Yes. And his aim in boxing is primarily to just play in a way that he can maximize his own points and take a little de- – he- you see what I'm saying? Whoa, somebody knows a little bit about boxing. I do know a little bit about boxing. Is your filipino is popping out? <laughs> but but that's the way Pacquiao. he's... Yeah, that's that's exactly... No, it's actually, it's actually Ali. That's 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 um, uh, um, Cassius Clay. I always thought he was a fascinating character. But um, Person. Person, yeah. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to manipulate the rules of the game to maximize the external goods in his life. That's what he's doing. Right. Whereas Muhammad Floyd, Ali... Floyd Merriweather. Floyd Merriweather. Whereas Muhammad Ali, he literally changed the way the game is played by the way that he played the game. 
You see what I'm saying? He added to the internal goods of the game, and it transformed how it was playing. You could you could make the same um, uh, argument for Michael Jordan. I don't know enough about basketball to make this argument, but I assume that, that that's why people kind of revolve like a turning point of basketball with Michael Jordan. Or um, uh, what's the golfing guy? The um, Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicholas? Arnold Palmer. That's the guy, right? So the, he changed the, the the way the sport was played, how he played. Um and that's like if a, if you have a, a baseball team, whether it's a high school baseball team or whatever, that is focused on the internal goods of the game and we're just trying to improve the way that we play the game, then that's cool if that guy's benched, right? It's not about – and it doesn't become about the, the coach's ego or wanting to win. It's about the effectiveness of actually playing the game or the, however that – yeah, I don't know enough about baseball to know the internal goods of the game. I'm trying to watch you <laughs> understand baseball, <laughs> right? But that's that's the thing, right? And so um, we don't have any motivation right now to say, like, we want you to improve your craft. Like, your craft, you can change the way that it's played, right? <clears throat> like, you can change the way that screws are sold <laughs> or whatever. You need. I don't know. But that's an activity. There's a, There's internal goods to the activity. You know the difference in, in your job, like, between, like, this is an internal good that, that makes this job what it actually is, and this is the external good is the paycheck that I get, right? I think about this in youth right. ministry all the time, right? I can, I can literally just write a retreat and get by and, and do the thing, or I can try to improve on the, the ministry that's happening at the parish. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Uh, regardless of income boost or any, any external goods that come with it or, or lods or anything like that, right? Because that's not the point. Um, and if we, if all we're doing is catering towards the external goods, then all that really matters is the easiest way to get to those external goods. There's no value in actually playing the game. Yeah, it's not. We're not trying to give the best service or whatnot. We're just trying to find the easiest way to make easiest paycheck, money. right? Right. <laughs> and that's what I think we're currently experiencing in our, in our culture is that everybody has figured out or has has said that well. Only the external goods of anything actually matter. And so the easiest route, the easiest, the, the, the technique that I can You're use. of the, I need to get to the destination rather than the journey. Not, a, not really realizing that the journey is the, the dignity of work that makes you. Right, that makes you human. <clears throat> it makes you more human. Like that's, it's, it's, uh, it's about your sanctification. The most like, human. The, the most human. I don't know what that's from. That's uh, Star Trek 2. Okay. Oh, it's like all the souls. God. Yeah, he's like all the souls I've met in you know my life. He was the most. Then he like chokes up. Human. <laughs> Sorry. Some people will get that. Yeah, that's okay. I'll put in. I'll put in the clip. Not Manny. <laughs> I don't know. Does Manny like Star Trek? I have no idea. I just like put making fun of Manny. Oh, gotcha. I was thinking about him as I was watching Disney cartoons the other day. Nice. But you see where I'm going? Yeah, like, I do. Uh, how do we go about correcting something like this or like what is the remedy of saying like it's not about the external goods of a thing you have to at some point you have to be about the internal goods of something that you're doing i don't know i feel like we're at a point in our lives in society where it's either a few things one is the pendulum's going to start swinging the other way mm-hmm. or we get to a point where we hit rock bottom and it's like i feel like anarchy <laughs> Kind of, or something like you ever you ever read those like like the books or see the movies or something where it's like there's this deadly disease and everybody over the age of eighteen dies and now you have all kids in the world, yeah, and 
We don't know how to. It was Lord of the Flies, right? No, well, that's a little different because they're stuck on a island. Okay, this is like you're still in the city. Gotcha. But you can't. That's Omega Man. Yeah, except no <laughs> zombies. Except no zombies. That's but. Right. <laughs> The point is, if you're a bunch of kids, you don't know how factories work and you don't know how um, distribution works and stuff like that. So it's like we have sodas in the 7-Eleven and we can drink them. But once they're gone, I don't know how to make more. Mm -hmm. Right. Nobody taught the kids how to make them. Right. You know what I mean? So now all the it's like the dark ages or something where it's like, hey, look at these aqueducts we used to have in the, you know, in the first century. Yeah. But now we don't know how to do that or something. Or well, that was the whole um, that was the whole thing when Canto Leibowitz is another book that's kind of like that. Um, that's a fascinating book. Have we talked about this book before, Canto Leibowitz? Essentially, I think so. um, it's a book that takes place in three different time periods, and they're each five hundred years apart. Okay. Um, and the first time period that it's taking place in is five hundred years after an event that it happened. Right. So base oh this is totally fictitious oh yeah oh, totally fake okay sorry and so um, basically there so was a the event this event which was like a nuclear holocaust okay. the, the the countries blew each other up and and caused this massive death all over the world or whatever and so the people that remained were like this is the fault of smart people smart people developed uh, technologies that were able to um, uh, create weapons and bombs and all kinds of things, and now all this destruction has taken place, so we need to kill all the smart people and get rid of all the technology. Think of like the Luddites, right? This idea of like smashing technology and stuff yeah. like that, right? So they did that, and there was just a group of people led by this guy named um, Leibowitz who um, tried to preserve uh, like books, you know, almost like Fahrenheit 451, right? So he's trying to preserve books, and there, there, there was the Catholic Church, essentially. Of course, every book that I read has something to do with the Catholic Church. Ah, so, <laughs> ah yes. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. David not, is religious. I did not see this coming into our podcast. <laughs> but, but anyway, he has, uh, uh, he's trying to preserve these books. And so 500 years later, only the, place that, the only places that have these books are these monasteries, and there's no technology or anything like that. Yeah, but, it's like when they used to have to – the monks had to write do the copying. And that's exactly what's still happening. The monks are doing the copying. But think about it. They're doing these um, these b- beautiful um, illuminations of the letters and things like that on like a, a math book, right? Because like this, this has become now sacred literature. They don't understand it, but they're going to recopy it over and over for hundreds of years, right? And anyway, the, the whole thing that goes is like you, you get to this period of 500 years and there's still no technology, but they rediscover a, a certain book that's going to help them figure out how to bring electricity or whatever, right? 500 years later, they finally figured out how electricity is working. That took a while. Right, but now they're starting to use it in things, and then 500 years after that, they're back to the like technology where it's killing everybody, and then the, and then kind of starts over again. That's how the end mm-hmm. is. It's like, uh. yeah, yeah. Soup spoilers, but <laughs> but it's the um, it's that cycle of like, and it's kind of a lament of like, is this what human nature is really going to be all about? Are we going to techne ourselves to death and just do it over and over and over again? Oh, it could be. It could be right, but but that's <clears throat> it. Took so long to get this far, right? And so if that is – let's assume that that is the case and there's going to be some kind of weird reset or whatever. Um, how do we live in the now? Like – because I see this in, in – this is what, what got me thinking about this is because I taught a liturgy workshop on this. And the whole thing was in liturgy, most people go for the external goods of liturgy. 
the external goods of liturgy are going to be like, I felt good. You know, I, right. I went and I got something out of it. The music was great, right? These are all external goods and peripheral to the liturgy itself, right? Or is it that I have to check the box of going? A check, I I check the box of going is just like that's that's the minimum, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, is that the external good? <laughs> yeah, like, I guess we I have guess you to could go say to mass. you could feel like a good Catholic, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> I can I can check the box and say I'm a good Catholic. That's an external good. Whereas the internal good of mass is what Christ is actually doing present there, right? And everything like Christ's sacrifice and His offering of Himself to the Father that we get to participate in—that's the central part of the liturgy, right? And everything that happens in the liturgy is meant to accentuate that. But what do we do? The choir person wants to wants to make oh, I got to make sure that this song sounds really good so people think I'm a good choir person. External goods, right? Maybe even the priest is like, oh, I got to work on my homily so people will be like, good good homily, Father, or funny joke, Father, you know, so I can external goods. Right, this is this is the thing that we that we're looking for. And me as as a parishioner, am I going there? Oh, I just want to make sure my kids are quiet. You know, talk to me about that. Right now. But, let me tell you, mass is a sacrifice for me. Yes, that's what it should oh, be. No, it is definitely. God is punishing me. But it should be a sacrifice. No, and it's it, too much. Like I don't want to go back. No, you need to go back because your kids deserve to be present no, at the sacrifice of the lamb. Anywhere. They're terrible. Yeah, they are. That's the point. And so am I. And so are I you. Know. No, they're real bad. I'm good. <laughs> no, there was a lady this Sunday who came up to Lisa and said, bless you for bringing your kids to church. And you know why she didn't say it to me? Because I already took Henry outside. <laughs> See, I, I'm, I am not an advocate of taking kids outside, outside of church. Um, uh, because your kids aren't as bad as mine, but even still, like I will take out, I, I've taken out Isaac uh, a handful of times when Isaac's losing his mind. Um, kind of gets a pass, but I'm going to try to get him back in as soon as humanly possible. Right. That's my aim is I want him there. I want him present. Um, so he, at his level, uh, whatever that happens to be, he could participate in the, um, the sacrifice that Jesus is offering. Because, honestly, we don't have to do much. Jesus is doing the work, right? Yeah. I think about uh, Michelangelo's painting with the, the, the creation of the, of the world, you know, the, the, in the Sistine Chapel where God's you reaching out. Point. Yeah, and, and, but, but what's Adam doing? His hand is, like, limp. It's propped up on his leg. You know, he's not, like, really he's, doing anything. He's pretty relaxed. That's our conscious, active participation in Mass. In that's the, all that's... Even in the 16th century. <laughs> that's all that needs to be, right? That's, that's it. Because uh, Jesus is the one that does the work, right? We just need to kind of be there and, and do our best to our capacity. But everybody's like, oh, I got to get something out of it. That's not the point. No, I understand. And then I understand what you were saying about the pastors and the right. choir, choir directors. But I also look at it in other ways, too, because I remember hearing a lot of like, well, the Lord loves us for who we are. So if we just sing, it's fine. No, we should sing good. Let's work hard at this. Right. If you have the capacity to sing good. But if you don't have the capacity, like if it, it again, this is like all of this goes together because like if you have the capacity to play the game, then play the game well. Yeah. Right. But I mean, there was the other way of looking at it of God loves me for me. So if I sing crappy and I don't try hard, she'll still love me. Nope. If you if you have, if you have the capacity to sing well and you just don't, that's a failure of virtue. Right. That, that's it. 
that's that's the thing is like sometimes we this is the this is i think my my boiling down to my irritation of the of the techniques to make things easy is that sometimes we have the capacity to do the hard things but we realize we don't have to right mm-hmm. i know that i do that with guitar all the time like like my like my hand can only play so much so i can only practice so much but sometimes there's a song like and i'll learn how i'll learn the chords for it i'll learn the method to play it and there's a particular strumming pattern that if I tried hard enough, I could get that exact strumming pattern and make the song and play the song identically. But sometimes I'm like, ah, but the strumming pattern is easier and it sounds good enough, right? And I'm like, I can get by on the strumming pattern. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? And that's that's because I just want to be able to play the song. Right. And it's not, I'm not using my capacity. There's no virtue in that, right? You see what I'm saying with, with, with all this stuff? And I don't, I don't know how to fix it because I know that I, I have the same problem. Like I just mentioned with the guitar, there's tons of stuff in my own life that's like, I know I could do, I, I know I have the capacity to do better on this, but I'm just not going to because of my sinfulness. Because I don't have the motivation for virtue sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to do everything 100% all no, the time. No, of course not. Of course not. So sometimes strumming has to take a seat back. Yeah. Seat back, back seat. Back seat. Yeah. Back seat to raising children, which. Yeah, that's that's a higher good though, so it should. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We have to start over. You just have to start over. Just... Yeah, I'm sending Robert and Henry to the fire station. And... <laughs> what, what, what was it? The, the um, scientific science experiments for the science experiments, <laughs> experiments for the lot again. The mill's closed. There's no more work. We're destitute. Come in, my little loves. I've got no option but to sell you all for scientific experiments. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's Monty Python: The Meaning of Life. Yep. <laughs> couldn't you couldn't you get your balls cut off? Nope, nope, nope. nope. The, Lord, the Lord knows it. What if it happened in an accident? <laughs> nope. Science nope. experiments for a lot of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh boy. Oh, yeah. all Kelly. Every sperm is sacred. That was such a good movie. Every sperm is great. If a sperm is wasted. God gets quite irate. Tough. Yeah, it is. It is. Then everybody's like, you know what you need? You need a little girl. And I'm like, yeah. Can you get me one? Can you get me one? Because it, it's a 50-50 shot, and I don't think I have the, the guts to make that call. Right. Yeah, there's a... Because <clears throat> if I had three boys... Yeah. 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 Although... We got uh, the two boys and then Gemma, and Gemma is by far the most difficult of the three. What? <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I, I know. But but she's awesome. I mean, she's the problem is that she's crazy smart. Don't try to be like, oh, she's awesome, because she'll hear this someday and be know, like, exactly. Dad, Dad, Dad said that I was the struggle. You are the struggle, yeah. No, she she knows she's a struggle. She does. And the... And the Problem is, she's crazy smart, and she figures out things that my boys never figured out to do, and it's so irritating. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Robert's a pain in butt with that too. Because yeah. Lisa's like, "See, I told you he's smart." I'm like, "Of course he's smart. He's my son." <laughs> of course, I'm so, I'm so arrogant in that too. Where I'm like, "Of course he figured that out." Yeah. No wonder why he's a jerk. Yeah. When he corrects you because you keep saying stove when you mean oven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then that's she like that. literally. She's like, "Get that 
towel off the stove so you could wipe up whatever. He's like, there's no towels on the stove. It's on the oven. Grab it. Yeah, because it was on the oven door. And I'm like, Lisa, you got to think like Robert thinks. It's not on the stove yeah. because it's not. It's on the oven. That was, well, you know what I mean. No, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He, <laughs> he puts those compartments. Everything's yeah. in boxes, not Tears in yard. Yeah, that was that was my favorite. He was my favorite at VBS because oh, he was God. he was in kindergarten at VBS, and I would mess with the kids. I would be like, "All right, guys, and what they uh, and what was the animal today? It was a it was a dog, right? And, and or was it a a badger? And and your son's like, it's a coyote. It was a wolf, right? A coyote. <laughs> I'm like, like yeah, yeah, and he has to tell me afterwards too. David, it was a coyote. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, Robert. <laughs> Because he knows his desert animals. Oh, he does. <laughs> he knows his. He he's watched the Wild Kratz show. It's a PBS show. Nice. And they talk about animals. Because I didn't even know he watched these things or something. Because he was telling me about you know that killer or sperm whales and giant squids are mortal enemies and stuff. I said, yeah, I do know all about that. <laughs> How do you, How do you know? know this? <laughs> Three-year-old or something, because uh, sperm whales and giant squids are a specialty of mine. <laughs> yeah, that's just kind of my niche, Dad. Did you know? I'm all about aquatic life. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> but it's funny, like, when he hits stuff, and then there's things that he really loves, like, because, like, we watched um, Pinocchio, and he's like, you know, my favorite, Monstro. Monstro. Yeah. And I'm like... I love Monstro. Nice. When I was a kid, like I even was mad that in Storybook Land at Disneyland, they still didn't have a little Monstro by the village, mm. even though there's the giant Monstro Let that you go, go through. Yeah. I still was like, you need one. And it's like, Mom, I can make a Monstro. I go blow up a black balloon and put the buttons on for eyes, <laughs> and I'll put it there with a string attached to Pinocchio's village. It'll be perfect because <laughs> Monstro is the best. And then cool. he loves the the squid uh, attack scene in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Have you seen that? I have not. You need to see it. Yeah. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, I saw that it was there. Yeah. Nineteen fifty four. It was a thing that could have ruined Disneyland because they would have blown it on the movie, but it was a success, so everything worked out. There's a few of those stories for Disney. Oh yeah, where it's like this movie didn't make it. <laughs> like, so Twenty Thousand Leagues was the nineteen fifty four version of. Really, this didn't make it. We would have been dead. We would have not have Disneyland because he wouldn't have enough money to finish it or right. something. And and like uh, uh, Cinderella in 1950, that's their first film after the package film era, which they had to do during the war. And those are the make my musics and make mine music and then um, uh, melody times and right. Mr. Toad, all the double features and stuff. And so they finally did Cinderella, and it's like. Oh boy, I sure hope this works out because we might have to like close the studio after this and it makes a bunch of money and you're like, yay! Yeah. And yeah, I'm curious if that's going to happen anytime in the future right now because their stuff, the stuff that they're putting out right now is, is not great and I know they're, I know they're not doing as well in the box office that they were expecting to. And so I wonder if in, in the next 20 years or so something like that may come about again. Yeah, but there's always ebbs and flows too. That's true. Because there's also like, and also you got to work with. Or if technique continues the way it is, right? Yeah. Well, like, that's if the those thing people too. have the jobby jobs. <laughs> and then the other thing too is things are different too with, uh, with like, um, you know, the way streaming works and movies work. Because like, how many of those movies went straight to streaming instead of going right. in the theater? Right. And then there's the problem like, the poor Onward like premiered like two days before covid so like it has one week of 
of box office before they had to shut every theater down. So those things are weird. Or, or like if you look at something, what was it? The Trolls 2 movie. And it said it has a box office at $2 million. I'm like, how can a movie have $2 million at box office? Oh, yeah. It was during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, why is there? Oh, they had drive-ins. That's how they did it. Yeah. That's all they had. So everything else is all through the streaming. So I know things are different because they're not everything's in. You can't judge it based on the way we did five years ago, right. let alone 30. But, you know. <clears throat> but I mean, if you look at even in Disney movies and stuff, like they've had, you know, you had the first movies, the Golden Age, and then you had the package films that were okay, I guess. But they're not movies; they're just like, hey, let's throw a bunch of shorts, in right? If you like it. And then you had your like Silver Age from Cinderella to like, um, Gold, uh, Jungle Book, and those you have some did better than others. And then after that, like the seventies and eighties were. I guess not as good. I mean, I love Robin Hood. I really love Robin Hood, but I don't think it made that much money or something. But but you can also tell that the quality changed. Oh, I was figuring this out, too. I was realizing why a lot of the artistic changes happened because around the time of 101 Dalmatians, they realized that they can Xerox the sketches by the animators onto the cell. Okay. Because before, what they had to do is, like, take the page and then the inker... Like in comic books, where you have an inker that goes over this pencil work. Right. Instead, they go over it on the cell, and then they paint the cell. Okay. So what they were doing is saying, it is photocopy in Xerox the page onto the The cell. The cell. Mm -hmm. And now we lay off all the anchors. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) It's sad, but it also saves a crap load of money. And then have the colors put the stuff on the cell after that. Right. And that's why you have, like, sketchier art from the 101 Dalmatians on and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. So when you look at things like Robin Hood and you can tell the art's not as good. Right. That is true. It isn't as good. Yeah. I really like that style. I actually actually really like the little, uh, (coughs) the imperfect. The imperfect uh, pencil lines and things. I always, I, I really enjoy that kind see, of See, and I liked it more for 101 Dalmatians because it felt more stylized. But, like, as you see yeah. through later on, you're like, it's just not as good. I felt like it was a little better for Fox and the Hound. But the, even Jungle Book, you can kind of see it. And Fox Sword and the Hound's Stone. Such a good movie. Sword <laughs> and the Stone, you can see it. And when I was watching Oliver and Company, we showed it, I showed it to Robert and Henry. And I'm like, this is only one year before Little Mermaid. And you could see the difference. Easily. Really? Yeah. I gotta go back and look at that. Because Little Mermaid is beautifully drawn. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like <clears throat> that's a that's a masterwork. It's like they're like, oh, we're gonna s- now we're gonna start doing good job. But that's the thing through the seventies and the eighties, nothing was really really right. big. There, Especially like because seventies had like you had Aristocrats, you had like Robin Hood, and then you had Rescuers, and then you also had many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which is really just boxing up your old movies because these were shorts that were 20 minutes long that they used to play before other movies or whatever in the 60s and we threw it all in one big movie and repackaged it in 1977 so there you go many adventures winning the pooh now it's hmm. we consider it a movie and then see so you have like 71 73 77 had two movies then 81 is fox and the hound which i love that movie oh it's good yeah yeah it's fantastic <clears throat> which is funny because I realized I never saw it till they re-released it. Ah, oh, gotta say '88. I might be wrong, but they re-released it. That's when I first saw it. But I had the book and cassette, yeah. so I knew the story so well, and I knew the Best of Friends song and everything. Oh, and then I song. finally saw the movie. You know, when I was 
when they because they didn't put on VHS. Because we went over this once before that when they started putting VHS movies, they waited till they were re-released in theaters. Right. So like I saw, I so I didn't see that because only two when Fox and the Hound came out. Then there was Black Cauldron, which I didn't see till they put that on VHS, which I don't even remember. It was in the nineties, I think. And then that's eighty five, and then eighty six was. Green Mouse Detective. I saw that in the theater, and that you know I saw it once, and I probably didn't see it again for another fifteen years, and then I or, or maybe ten years, and then I haven't probably haven't seen it since. Oh, that's a great one. You should watch that again. I know I need yeah. to see it because <laughs> I really watch. loved it. It was good. It was really good. And then you had all it's a nice introduction Com- to uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I saw the very end of it once uh, about t- two thousand seven. I'm flipping it like on Disney Channel. I was like, oh, cool. Oh, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and, so good. And then you have like Oliver and Company, which I thought was the bee's knees back in 1988. And and I saw it then, and I saw it when it came out on VHS because we bought it in like 96, I think it was when they released it. But it took eight years to put it on VHS, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, instead of coming out because when Little Mermaid made so much, so much money, money. They said, put that show on videotape. <laughs> and that's why it was on VHS in like the next year, 1990 or something. And there's like, this is also. Disney classic. Yeah. It's just like Snow White. Boom. Already. And you're like, oh. And to me, as a 10-year-old, I'm like, how could this be a classic? It's five minutes old. Like, that's <laughs> that's classic right here on the yeah. side of the cassette. Is it? <laughs> and you got that big, bu- fluffy cassette and everything. Yeah, those big old clamshells. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was fluffy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so like all that stuff. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? You know, but like all those 80s films. But I mean, I can tell they're not as good as yeah. the, the 90s films. But then you watch the 2000s films and they're not that good. They're not as good. I mean, the early ones, like I love Emperor's New Groove. Oh, yeah, that's good. I, I sometimes forget that that's a Disney film. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. But then, like, Lilo and Stitch and, like, Atlantis and Treasure Planet, all that's in the first few years. And then you get, like, Brother Bear and Home on the Range. Yeah. And then you're like, okay. And then it was, like, Meet the Robinsons and Bolt. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, oh, I didn't even know those were real Disney movies. I didn't even know <laughs> that the Bolt was a Disney movie, but it's considered it. And Yeah. You know, I didn't know Disney Dinosaur was considered it either, though. But so it's like, oh, I didn't know those counted per se. And then all of a sudden, they try not to think about it. It's like you know, like it's, it's certain things in history. They're like, yeah, we try not to take credit for that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Like the Germans <laughs> during the during the forties. But yeah, like BMW talks about all the great things they did until yeah. they started making planes for the. But nobody ever talks about the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects, nobody the, expects Spanish the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> No, Mr. Wentworth just told me to come in here and say that there was trouble at the mill, that's all. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise are two weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency are three weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope are four. No. <laughs> Amongst our weapons. Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear. I'll come in again. <laughs> yes, but like, so what I'm saying is like your e- late 70s and 80s were kind of a drab. Then the 90s were awesome. And then the late 2000s were like, eh. And then it's like Princess of the Frog. Hey, look, here's yeah. a movie. It's just like the old movies. And then it's like Tangled and Frozen. And 
now we're back into it. Yeah. You know? It reminds me of the saying that's like, um, I think it goes like, uh, um, hard times make strong men, and strong men make easy times. Easy times make weak men, and weak men make hard times. That that cycle, cyclical, cyclical, yeah, cyclical. All right, and that's uh, and I think that's what you were saying earlier too about like this this powdered keg that we're we're potentially in where we're going to live in a dystopian future where everybody kills smart people and technology and starts over and the kids have to rule the world. Yeah, because um, there's even the thing too. Like I, what was that? I heard a thing about like uh, like an Arab sheik or something, you know, because of the oil things or something, and he's like, you know, my grandfather rode a camel, but I drive a ferrari yeah and my son's gonna drive a ferrari and then my grandson will drive a ferrari but his son's gonna drive a camel or something exactly right yeah that's the same thing yeah because he's like sooner or later we're all gonna be good and then everybody's gonna be you know either spoiled and rich and and then they get stupid and then we're back to nowhere well that's the thing is like we don't have uh, we don't have any there's nothing in our culture that says that hey you need to be smart you know, there's there's nothing like you you could literally get by your entire life and just be dumb and 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 be okay with that. Like even if you have the capacity for intelligence, you could literally smoke weed all day and just still survive in this in, 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 in kind of. But I feel like you need a lot more to it, though. Do you? Like you need like, but you can't just smoke weed all day in your basement. smoke weed every day. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> but like. You need to have, like, the parents that are paying your bills or something. You right, know? right. Do you? You need something, <laughs> though. You can't just... I don't know. It seems like GoFundMe or some something's going to bail you out. I guess. You need something like that, though. Yeah. That's a good question. All right, well, this was episode 51. Um, you want to dive in any more on this stuff? Well, the one thing I... Go ahead. When I started this whole thing was mostly... Uh, more superficial way or, or scratching this, you know. I was mostly trying to talk about, like, pop culture. <laughs> Sorry. And then we got hella deep. <laughs> That's my bad. But my main... Th- oh, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, like, I've never gone on a tangent. But... <clears throat>